I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net.
from Ecclesiastes 1 and 3. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hurries to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north and around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they continue to flow. All things are wearisome, more than one can express. The eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been. In the ages before us, the people of long ago are not remembered, nor will there be any remembrance of people yet to come by those who come after them. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain have the workers from their toil? I have seen the, um, the business that God has given to everyone to be busy with. He has made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, he has put a sense of past and future in their minds, yet they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So we've been working our way through a sermon series um, through the Old Testament, some of the books in the Old Testament that we say are either misunderstood or uh, really not really people know what it means, what it's about, or uh, books that, um, I don't know, maybe we have, have gotten a bad rep. I mean, so we're working our way through these, and today we find ourselves in Ecclesiastes. So over, as I've been thinking about the last three years with you all, I, I can't help but layer on, layer on top of every, every chance meeting with one of you, Every, every encounter, every new relationship I've created with one of you, um, this sense of pervading meaning and purpose, as if it was meant to be, as if meeting you, befriending you, having coffee with you was meant to be. I can't help but think back fondly on, on each encounter with you, with, with each of you, each each and every coffee date, date where I, I thought, wow, God, God, you really do orchestrate things. You do knit things together. You really do show up and you, you guide us into relationships with just the right people for this church. And it's almost perfect. I remember my first coffee date with Nicole. She has no idea I'm putting her on the spot. But I remember my first coffee date with Nicole and I was praying that God might send me leaders to help get this church off the ground. 
and Nicole had been praying for um, for a church that would that would be just just right for her, and she hadn't found it yet, and 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 I felt like there was meaning and and purpose in that in that coffee date. I remember the the first time I sat down in Panera, and it's funny because Nate is not here, but the first time I sat down in Panera with Nate Truitt, um, and it seems like all these layer upon layer experiences and layers upon layers of meaning. Nate had no idea when I had dinner with him that night that he would um, end up being deep in financial analysis for our church <laughs> and, um, and fundraising for our church. Um, Nate had no idea he'd eventually hold all the power <laughs> to approve and, and, <laughs> and not approve all purchases for Kingstown. I bet Nate had no idea that he would have all that power layers upon layers upon layers of meaning. I think about um, Betty Lynn doesn't know I'm about to put her on the spot. I think about Betty Lynn and, and the first time she came to, um, to worship with us at Knoll's Easter service, right? And, and it just seems like it was right. It felt like that moment was the right time to receive a postcard, um, to, to try something out that was new. And, and, and she, she's I don't remember, I don't think she's ever, she's like perfect attendance here at Kingstown. <laughs> um, and, and then I think of like, I think of Barbara and Mike who, who wandered in to a Christmas at Knolls, right? I think of Barbara and Mike who wandered into a Christmas at Knolls and they had seen other things we had been doing, but that one time was the right moment in life. That day was the right moment in life. It was what they needed. And there was meaning and there was purpose in that. I can't help but layer meaning and purpose onto every single relationship and every memory I have of this church from the very beginning. And God, God is certainly at work, Scripture says, to, to bring meaning together, right? To bring meaning of, of the people we meet and, and the pain we experience and the praises that we have in this life. Scripture says that, that, that there's truth in that, there's meaning in that. Until you read Ecclesiastes. You think every moment, every encounter is leading you to enlightenment about your life and about God? You think within every moment there's this layer upon layer of meaning and purpose and that, that it's your duty to pay attention to God. It's your duty to pay attention and glean that meaning and that purpose out, out, of, out of what God is, what, what God's orchestrating, what God's setting up. You, you believe that God ordained you, shined light into your life to, to bring you to this moment now in your life, to this church now? The writer of Ecclesiastes does not. Vanity upon vanity. All is vanity. The other way, way you could translate that is all is meaningless. Another way you could translate that is all is vapor. It's as good as gone. What do people gain from all the toil and all the work? All, all of the leadership meetings and all of the retreats and all of the envisioning of this church from the very beginning, what do people gain from all of this? Do we gain meaning? Do we gain purpose? Ecclesiastes says we do not. <laughs> Nothing. It's all meaningless. To find meaning, 
The search for meaning in any of it is like chasing the wind, the writer of Ecclesiastes says. So Ecclesiastes asks us to regroup a little bit. Maybe it's just all meaningless. Maybe you are here by accident right now. Maybe this is just going to turn into vapor. Here's one thing that I've learned about, about reading scripture. It's whenever you come to something about God or, or the gospel or the life of faith that everyone knows is true, like God is a God of light and offers meaning and purpose and clarity to our lives. That is a, that's a normal truth, right? Every time you stumble across something that's true, it's a good step It's a good step. Take a step back from that kind of reverential crowd, that gaze that we just like ooh and awe about God. And think about the opposite position, the opposite direction. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes masters. Because nine times out of ten, there is something as true on the backside of that, whatever that whole truth is that you, you've staked your life on, nine times out of ten, there's something true on the other side of that too. For example, God is light. And in God, there is no darkness at all. We know this. One of my favorite hymns speaks to this. I want to walk in, as a child of the light. I want to follow Jesus. It, it, the refrain goes, In him there is no darkness at all. The night and the day are both alike. The Lamb is the light of the city of God. Shine in my heart, Lord Jesus. I, I'm not saying it's not true. How could I? The Psalms are full of it. The Psalm says, The Lord is my light. And my salvation, the, the fountain of life in whose light we, we see everything. Our favorite passages are full of this assertion that God is light. The people who walked in darkness have now seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. The fourth gospel's full of it. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. What's not to love about this very firm God? The benefits of faith in these passages are so clear to us, right? That, that you'd have, you, I mean, you'd have to bury your head in the sand not to, to, to miss them in, in, in some way. The light of the world has come to put an end to darkness, to be a lamp in the hands of those who believe, to offer enlightenment and meaning and purpose to our lives. I know so many whose lives depend on that good news, perhaps yours does, when they can't see where they're going, when, when they hit rock bottom, when their prayers go unanswered, when they're marooned in this kind of darkness that, that makes them afraid to even move through life, and they know that if they, they can just keep their minds focused on the light of the world, then sooner or later, this light will send some kind of bright angel to get them out of whatever mess they're in and to help them frame all that is happening in a narrative of God's love and purpose for their life. It is by far the most popular version of Christian truth we have. But remember, if you, if you turn around and look behind you, remember, remember that 
that idea that every, every foundational truth we have, if you turn and look at the backside of it, there might be some truth there as well. If you turn, you'll notice that Scripture also attests to God being and dwelling in deep darkness. God dwells in the black hole, too, not just in the light. God dwells in the unclear and the foggy. Scripture shows us that, too. God dwells in the meaningless void in Scripture as well. God comes to people in dark clouds, in dark nights, in dark dreams, through dark strangers in the Bible, in ways that sometimes scare, scare us half to death and we don't know what to do with it. God does some of God's best work in the dark. So God is the light of the world, and in God there is no darkness at all. And yet God shows up to us in the dark. This is what the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to get us to see. If this is hard to see, then maybe it's because we've been conditioned to think of of darkness as a negative, right? When I listen to all the ways that people use dark and ordinary conversation, you know, that was a really dark film. Or the economy's not out of the dark yet. Or um, she's been in a really dark mood lately, right? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just in a, I'm in a dark place right now. Oh, him, he's gone over to the dark side, right? <laughs> the only positive associations that I know of that we regularly use for dark is like dark chocolate and dark beer, right? <laughs> And if you'd like to add to those, I'd like to expand my list. Maybe maybe you can help me lengthen it at some point. But for now, it may be enough to say that no one ever asks God for more darkness, please. Do you? Please, God, come to me in that dark cloud, I pray. God, please give me that dark vision, I pray. Put out my lights so I can see what I need to see, God. Send me that dark angel like you sent your other messengers. Please, God. Do we ever pray this? As far as I can tell, no one asks (laughs) asks for this in the Bible either. But it happens to them anyways. God comes to Abraham in the dark after telling this Old man to sacrifice a heifer and a goat and a ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. He comes to Abraham in the dark and tells him to do something that only seems dark. Kill his son. God comes to Jacob in the dark, not not once but twice. The first time in a dream at the foot of a heavenly ladder, it says, and the second time on a riverbank where he wrestles with this dark angel, not just one, but three until morning. And it's somehow in the darkness that he finds light. Once you start noticing how many things happen at night in the Bible, (laughs) this list grows fast. Jacob's son Joseph dreams dreams at night. (laughs) 
that he catches a Pharaoh's attention graduating from a dungeon to a palace in order to become a royal interpreter of dark dreams. The exodus from Egypt happens at night. God parts the Red Sea at night. Manna falls from the sky in the wilderness in the middle of the dark when no one knows what's happening and no one has any clarity of meaning and purpose to any of this. One of the heaviest clusters of darkness in the early books of the Bible has nothing to, um, nothing to do with nighttime, however, but it comes about three moons into the wilderness story when the people who escaped from Egypt are camped at the Mount, of Mount Sinai, and that's where God decides to enter into covenant with God's people once again in the dark. I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud God says, a cloud where you can't see anything at all. You can't, you can't figure out meaning at all. You can barely make your way through this thing in order that the people may hear when I speak with you and so trust in me thereafter. God comes in a cloud and speaks to the people from inside a cloud, inside of the fogginess, inside of not knowing, not seeing, not being able to glean any meaning. The cloud sits on Sinai for days, flashing like there's a a forest fire inside it. And when God calls Moses inside the cloud, Moses enters it and stays for 40 days, it says. 40 days in darkness, in cloudiness, and not having any idea, the foggiest clue, what God is doing. The cloud, the void, the glory all go together. Not just then, but always. It's this truth about God that, that very few of us embrace. Ask Job, who yelled into the darkness for 37 whole chapters before God snatched him up into a whirlwind and showed him things too wonderful for him to be able to comprehend. Ask Peter and James and John, who entered another cloud on a mountain. Ask Saul, who became Paul because he had to spend time in darkness. It's not a popular truth, but there it is. God God is the light of the world, and in God no darkness exists, and yet God meets us in the darkness. The darkness that is not dark to God can be terrifying for those who like our deities well-lit who like our paths well-lit, who like to know what's coming up next, to like to, to know what meaning I can get out of this. Why, God, would you put me here now? Why would you have me bear this now? When we cannot see, when we are not sure where we are going, all of our landmarks have vanished inside the cloud. Then plenty of us can believe we are lost when the exact opposite may be true. Based on the wilderness of those who have gone before, the dark cloud is where God takes people apart. God like takes them fully apart. When you don't know what's next, when you don't know what to believe, that's when God begins to tear you apart a little bit. I do know that there are real benefits to this kind of faith, this kind of backside to the truth faith. Though they may not actually be that noticeable. The first benefit is that, is that you have to slow way down. Way down. Once you're inside the cloud. 
all of those things you prided yourself in helping you navigate life, all the, the certainties and the resources, your speed, your agility, your money, your ability to suss things out at a single glance, your intelligence, they won't do you any good inside the cloud. You might as well crawl like a baby. At least you can't fall down, right? The good news is that that slowness has a lot going for it. There's time to use the senses you don't even know you have. There's even time for the feelings you usually spend so much time outrunning to catch up with you a bit, tenderizing you just a little bit. Another benefit, I think, to this kind of backside faith that Ecclesiastes introduces us to is that none of your outside navigational tools can help you now. Good luck with that compass and that laminated map and that guidebook, that Bible. Good luck with that Bible because God is light and in God there is no darkness at all and yet we find ourselves in Ecclesiastes. Good news is that secondhand wisdom can only get you so far. Once you enter the cloud, it's time to find, find what primary resources you have now. What, what tuning fork, sacred whisper, it requires you to listen into the sacred whisper you have never heard or haven't heard in a long time. And then the third benefit is that you begin to see how shabby a faith based on benefits really is. How shabby a faith based on gleaning meaning and purpose really is. How incomplete of a faith that is. Inside the cloud with everything slowed way down so that you are much more in touch than you ever might want to be with whose cloud this is. The good news is that you can see very clearly how much of your life strategy has been designed to get you where you want to go, to get you the meaning that you wish God would help you see, to help you find the purpose that you've laid out for your own life so that you can figure out how to get God to help you get where you want to be faster. This is more than... this is. It's an embarrassing way to, to, to view the life of faith, and yet it is so much of what we do, so much of what I do. This thing will never sell, though, this backside of faith. This is why Ecclesiastes is a hard sell. Actually, to tell you the truth, there are tons of theologians that say that Ecclesiastes is completely counter to the, resurrect, the resurrecting God. There are tons of theologians that would say, I can't even believe this thing was put in the canon. I don't know why they ever thought to put this in the Bible because this is every, everything about it is counter to the God who is light and in God there is no darkness at all. To the, hear the gospel that God dwells in darkness might, might actually save you. I don't know if you needed to hear that today. That darkness is God's home? Seems a weird thing to preach on a birthday. <laughs> to be invited into the cloud is a great honor, though. It is. 
And so I pray that, that, that we might be invited into the cloud. I pray, I pray that as we discern meaning and, and purpose for our church in this community, that God may continue to remind us of the backside of that. Every time we get glimpses of how far we've come, how well we've made it, <laughs> that God might take us back up into the cloud. We may be forced to slow down a bit. We may be forced to, to get rid of the compass we think we're operating on and pick up a new one. We may be, we may be forced to actually listen to that sacred whisper So, in conclusion, I'm going to read our turn, turn, turn again. I wonder, I wonder how you hear this anew. This scripture has been preached at many a funeral, many a wedding too. Christian, thanks for not asking for this at your wedding. Um, it's been preached at many, and it's a dark one, y'all. <laughs> it's dark. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace, and vanity upon vanity, whatever one of these you wish you had, whatever season you wish was upon you, it's meaningless because God's going to catch you up in that cloud. Tell you, whisper things to you you never thought you'd hear. It doesn't matter. That's what Ecclesiastes have to say. It doesn't matter. I wonder if that's good news or bad news for you today. I wonder how you're sitting with that. Would you pray with me? God of light, light of the world, in whom there is no darkness at all, send us your dark angel. Catch us up in your dark cloud. Meet us in, in the depths of the dark. Wrestle with us until dawn. Do what you would do with us 
because all of the rest is meaningless. We surrender our desire for control, our manipulation of purpose and meaning. We, we surrender our, our seeking after your will uh, as a means to, to, to make ourselves feel better and to, so that we may be sure that we are actually in your will so that we may confirm that the life we're currently leading, it happens to have purpose and meaning. God, catch us up in your dark cloud. May we hear your sacred whisper. And on this day meant, meant for celebration, God, may we pause. May we pause and listen to what you really have to say to us. Let us slow down. We throw out our compass, God. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
table.